Welcome to episode 194 of the No Proscenium podcast, the voice of everything immersive. I'm your host, Noah Nelson, coming to you from the No Pro studios in Los Angeles, a.k.a. my kitchen table. This week on the show, we've got David Ruzicka and Eric Vossmeyer, who are the creative team behind I Want to Live in Your Mouth, a new show that is in North Hollywood at this moment. Uh, it is a horror-themed show, uh, which, uh, but but sort of coming from a, a kind of childlike sensibility. Um, we'll get into it. We'll get into it. I just I want I want to kind of frame everything here because I think that's one of the things happening with this show is that the the framing's uh, getting a little wonky. Um, this episode is brought to you by listeners like you, some of whom came out for our talk at the LA Times Festival of Books. Thank you if you did that. It was definitely good to see you. Um, we've got. A few announcements to make, and I'll give you an update on the Patreon. Uh, number one, uh, IndieCade's location-based Spotlight Award and their performance. Uh, I think they got a performance uh, award this year. Uh, the deadlines are April 25th, so you got about six days left uh, to um, get in on IndieCade award action. So get to your computers uh, and go to IndieCade.com and uh, check things out. You can also find that uh, in the show notes. Leia's Immersive Intensive here in Los Angeles is April 27th. Ticket uh, prices for that are going up on the 22nd. There are still spots available. In fact, uh, there's, there's, we're getting to like a sweet spot where we've got like a, enough, enough folks to like make it like really hum. And then what's nice is we've got capacity above that as well. So um, you want to go check that out at Leia.design. Again, links in the show notes. There's just there's amazing folks who are teaching classes. Haley Nichelle, uh, who is enchained, then she fell and sleep no more. She's doing two performance workshops. Uh, we've got Josh Randall of Blackout, who's doing uh, a bit on pitching. We've got uh, Nagin Singh, who is doing a, a business class for us. I'm I'm actually going later today, and Nagin's going to help me with some business stuff. So we're we're serious when we're like we're putting our best folks into this. Uh, we got uh, Michael Bates and Chris Porter of the Speakeasy Society are doing a writing workshop. We got Derek Spencer, who's leading one of his uh, one of his um, uh, improv kind of like contact. Improv Jam workshops. I think that's right. I probably just butchered that. We've got a LARP panel with uh, uh, Aaron Vanek and uh, also Kristoff uh, from uh, Cantrip Candles and uh, Jennifer Kretschmer and uh, Kristen, whose last name I can't remember, who's the writer of the piece uh, Aaron directed last year. Sorry, Kristen. Uh, just the most excellent, excellent piece. I'm not operating off of notes. Shock of shocks. I rely upon my memory and it is full of holes. Uh, and that's not even everything. Like Naya and I are doing a thing about uh, producing and press. Uh, yeah, there's there's somebody I'm missing. I know there's someone I'm missing. I don't think that's everything. There's a bunch of stuff. So uh, it's a hundred bucks right now. Uh, it's a steal. So check it out. Uh, if you were if you were contemplating for waiting to see how things kind of shake out, 
uh, for you and you're in the LA area. And particularly if you, oh, Tommy Haunton is doing, <laughs> is doing a bit. If, if you were one of those folks who just wanted more workshops out of IDS or who didn't get to get to IDS, um, we, we really made this for you. So, um, and we, we offered it at like rock bottom prices and big thanks. The Leia team wants a big thanks to Thymelia Arts for supporting us on this and, uh, helping us bring this to everyone at, uh, a lower cost than it would if they weren't, uh, such a wonderful host for our shenanigans. So there we go. April 27th, uh, the price goes up on, uh, April 22nd. And I think there might be some student discounts right now. So, um, I think, I think there might be something out there. Uh, don't quote me on that. You're like, but how Noah? don't you know? No, no, this, this thing is a collective man. So like everyone thinks like, but you're the boss of Leia. Mm, it doesn't, doesn't work like that. It doesn't work like that. Um, think of it more as guidelines. Um, so I'm the, uh, being a, being an admiral in a pirate fleet is still being in a pirate fleet. So there we go. Okay. Uh, more on that stuff later. Uh, cause there's one more weekend to hit you up. I'm like, Hey, there's still time. Uh, patreon.com slash no proscenium is how you support this nonsense that we do here at no pro and supporting, uh, supporting, uh, my ability to hold it down, which is about to become way more important for reasons that I am under NDA about, um, which sounds like, oh, wow, man, like something exciting. Well, yeah, something exciting. Uh, not, not necessarily something lucrative, but something exciting. Uh, so more on that in a moment. We're up to 230 backers, which I do believe is the, the most backers we've had. And we're at 1275, which sadly is not the most money we've been bringing in. Um, we've had some, some shuffling around, uh, in terms of, uh, what's been, uh, what's going on with, um, the, the kind of high dollar amounts. Uh, so there's some, some names cycling out, some names cycling in, uh, you know, we'll, we'll get to that in time. It's one of the reasons why, um, the one in $5 backer amounts are, are so vital. Um, I'm really serious when I say like, I would be like giddy if we had, if we had a thousand people back in the show at five dollars a throw, we'd I'd be set. I'd be set, and any kind of shenanigans we do around underwriting and any of that stuff that would be able to like pay other people to do what we do. So that's really the goal: is a broad, cheap <laughs> audience. Um, I'm very thankful for everyone who comes in at higher dollar amounts. It does mean a lot. Uh, but it also means that, uh, you know, there's 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 responsibilities there. And indeed, I believe we're due for another quarterly, which because of the way the Postal Service is done, uh, it means that uh, I can no longer really ship out fun little packages of things because fun little packages of things cost more money to send out than we kind of get just on postage alone. Uh, not not overall, but from that tier. So there's going to be some nice handwritten letters going out soon. Um, stickers. Luckily, there's always stickers. I hope everybody likes stickers. I pause because, like, I used to love stickers, and now I'm like, meh. <laughs> you know, I, my days of sticker albums are kind of over. Uh, so I, I'll think of something flat. we got to think of flat things. Ooh, cardboard pop-up stuff. Maybe, maybe, maybe get someone to design me a cardboard pop-up thing. Uh, Tommy, are you listening? Okay, uh, our new backers this time out, and this 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 meant a hell of a lot. Um, we put out a call this week, and people answered. And uh, seriously, this means a hell of a lot to be able to say all these names right now. 
Zach Ruskin, Lex Hallaby, Brandon Powers, Hector Alvarez, Justin Bolano, and Pam Elliott. Thank you all for joining the team this week. Really means a lot to me. Everyone who's wondering where the social media shouts are coming, they're coming. Uh, probably, probably right after Easter. Uh, I gotta, I gotta fix some things on my end of the social media. Catherine's holding it down amazingly. So, the sustaining backers of No Persinium are Jan Budman, Lonnie Hansen, Ari Hurstan, Mark Baltazar, and Sam Kinkin. Uh, we'll have a new debut at the top of May. Uh, and yeah, there we go. Hey, I want to live in your mouth. No, wait, no, that's that's the name of the show. That's the name. That's the name of the episode. So, um, this this show, I got to see it in preview. Uh, this is a, a creepy little gem. It makes sense. David and Eric met on creep. So, uh, if, if that vibe is in there, so it's a little bit of like, you take a little bit of creep, you take a little bit of, you know, uh, dark crystal, you take, take a little bit about, you know, what it was like to be, you know, eight years old in the eighties and be terrified of Freddy Krueger, um, uh, but then I have no idea what that means because you were too young to watch those movies. Um, so not, so don't go, don't go looking for like nightmare on Elm street, but like that sort of paranoia you had about it. Uh, that's, that's woven in here. So it's this, it's this little, um, dark confection, uh, that they've made, uh, lots of dark chocolate notes, uh, with a hint of sea salt. So <laughs> But seriously, um, it's it's a it's a it's a it's a dark delight they've got going on in North Hollywood. And I was very lucky in that the guys uh, met me on the set and we talked about it. So let's go into the show. Hey guys, uh, thanks for having me on the set. Uh, we're here in the living room set. Uh, should I even? I can. I can say. I think you can say. That. I can say. I say living room. Because really living rooms. Thing. Yeah, there's living a lot. Pretty so many things can happen there. in living rooms. Yeah. <laughs> and that's and that's our entire podcast. About right. I want to live thanks in your for mouth. coming out tonight, guys. Yeah, there we go. All right, thank you, guys. Uh, <laughs> we're here. Uh, we're here at Zombie Joe's, which has been uh, in uh, Zombie Joe's Underground Theater in North Hollywood. It's just been converted for this month. Uh, into uh, I Want to Live in Your Mouth. And uh, with us, we have to my left, I'll have you say your name again so people can know your voice. Sure, this is David Rizicka, the writer and director of I Want to Live in Your Mouth. And across from me uh, is one of my friends. And Still Eric Vossmeyer. Yeah, well, because we had him say it before. <laughs> yeah, the one was for, one was for off air. This is for on air. Um, and you're the Tell creative the producer. Tell on... the people who you are. Yeah. Y- uh, yes, I am a producer. So, so before we get into what the show, well, actually, let's let's do that first because, like, we might as well. I mean, I'll do some in the soft, in the cold open. But what is this show? Because, like, there's like a mouth logo and like a dirty bed logo and like there's a vibe. So, like, oh, by the way, we can curse on the show. So, like, are you guys? Great. Do you guys feel like you're gonna curse later? Maybe. I'm- Definitely gonna curse. Okay, I mean, so you like, what the fuck just is the add <laughs> a fucking logo. Yeah, you add a fucking, a fucking logo. bed. No, no, I, I never want to. I never want to be the first. I never want to be the first one to curse. So. No, of course. <laughs> so, but what the fuck is the show? Um, 
All right, well, that's it for everybody. Thanks. Uh, no, I mean, the, we we are pretty purposefully vague, and vibe is definitely a big part of it, but the, the most concise way to explain it is that it is a 20-minute experience for a single guest that is a horror-based experience taking them through the uh, traumatic childhood experiences of an unnamed narrator. For someone who doesn't like the word experience, you sure used it a lot just then. <laughs> Did I use it like three times? Yeah, three oh, times. geez. Yeah, luckily we're not playing the drinking game version of the show because like everyone's passed the legal limit now and some people listen to this show while they're driving. So I've, I've, Yeah, I've been trying to set this like, it has obviously not been working, but I've been trying to set these like very rigorous standards for myself of, uh, of we've been calling them visits instead of experiences. Mm, and I've been it. trying to also... Um, just because of also theme park life, I'm just trying to avoid saying experiential or like Im- interactive or as start, much. Or, or start referring to the patrons as guests. That so, too. Yeah. Well, guest, I, I'm hopeless for that. Yeah. That's how it is now. So, How many guests are we getting through the turnstile? So, no, and then you just spontaneously mm-hmm. explode. Um, so so there's, there's, it's almost like I want to do the setup of like the fact version of this. About what sure. What we can talk about. So... Um, there is contact, but it's this isn't an extreme, right? Yeah, that's right. I mean, the show is, it borrows some of the staging and inspirational framework of an extreme haunt show in some moments of it, but it's really not about trying to terrorize or traumatize people in some of the physical ways that you might expect in an extreme show so well for those for those who aren't familiar with an extreme show like what what does separate an extreme show both from like because like something like say the tension experience with theater macabre is not an extreme horror show uh something like e3w's in another room while it's a ghost story not an extreme but like blackout which people have you probably heard of or heretic those are extremes so what's what's sort of the differentiator here uh what what, what is not here in terms of your show but like sure. differentiator for extreme like what people will would find in those but in it would find like in blackout or heretic but not find in uh in another room or i want to live in your mouth because I think this is something that people don't actually. Yeah. We never. We don't talk about it too much, and it's almost one of those things like we just assume people know. It's true, and I, I think like even in tension experience, even though that's not an extreme haunt, I think there are elements of it that verge on extreme in psychological content. Possibly, yeah. I think that for the shows that are full on considered an extreme haunt, typically they involve physical acts that most people would be. S- at least somewhat hesitant to do such as waterboarding or um, I should say like mock waterboarding or physically aggressive moves, um, deprivation of your, your, of, of breathing or, um, things that, that feel like, um, are, are, you know, we, we talk about, um, bringing clothes to this show that you don't worry about getting, scuffed up or dirtied like a lot of immersive theater shows but in an extreme haunt you almost certainly will have your your clothing ripped up or have blood put on them or somehow yeah have a have, I, maybe it's more about a permanent not a permanent mark but a lasting mark from the experience afterwards yeah. too like there's 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 a there's a high degree of it's about the endurance yes right like the the point it seems to me and i know i know you you, you go to extreme shows so that's one of the reasons why that too but like 
it's sort of the point as to how much can you how much can you endure like like exploring your sort of your 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 limits is sort of the the a big point of that type of experience. Yeah, totally. And I think that this probably when I go to those shows, the thing I'm most interested in is I'm willing to put up with or engage with a certain level of extreme elements if there's a really solid story or a really solid visual experience to be had. So I tend to anchor towards those elements of it and I'm I can kind of go along with it and say, "Okay, well these things are happening to me that maybe I wouldn't normally do." but I can enjoy the the plot and enjoy the way that I'm being brought into this world. So that informed some of this experience because there it is. There's that word again. Uh, <laughs> this, 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 this show, um, because, uh, yeah, I know, I know Eric's making, he's like, he's got his little I'm beady eyes staring at here. me now. Um, yeah, it, it's, it informed some of this show of what would happen if you took that sort of model and removed the extreme elements from it, but, really focused on the storytelling and what I always call treating the guests like a camera. Yeah. So there's, there is something very cinematic to what you guys have built here with this show. And I think that's one of the things that I think is really interesting about, you know, the, the one guest at a time structure is that if you want it, it can be something, like you said, if you treat the guests like a camera, then you, you, put people in this very particular relationship to the material. And so, yeah, that's, that's, I kind of, it was a, kind of a weird way to kind of run into it, but also because you guys are kind of like, like there's a little bit of like how much secrecy you've got around the show, but there's also a little bit of like, I think like misinformed buzz about the show. And I want to sort of like put this like, yes, like there's this strain in extreme of being like intensely cinematic like that that sort of laser focus on a, on an individual i think i think one thing that's true for almost like 90 95% of the extremes is usually like you're going in alone because that way that's something that, that that's that's big but the actual the, the thing that can be really interesting about the the structure of the pieces is how much it's about playing with perception and on the psychological side of stuff like you were mentioning with like you say tension like it's it's about how much is like what's around the corner like what's coming next and that's that's a world you guys definitely play in here yeah and like the way that's i think it's interesting like the the pov aspect i think is is kind of the key component the way in which we're laying hands on guests is the way in which you would lay hands on a camera if you were operating a camera we're just making sure people see what we want when we want it's not about pushing them it's not about shoving them it's not about none of that has anything to do with our story that doesn't help our story what does help our story is making sure they're focused where they need to be focused so that we're telling exactly the story we want and the moments that we want to tell it so it's really just kind of the manipulation of them is just the manipulation of their point of view and making sure they see what we want them to see. I, I also, just because a lot of my perspective in this stuff goes back to themed entertainment and theme parks, I liken this kind of mode to a dark ride in many ways. And I know that that's a term that gets used sometimes for these sort of, I guess, on the rails experiences that yeah. feel really focused on you being that vehicle or that camera. Yeah. Yeah, there's definitely... Well, how much of how much of your approach to this was, say, the same approach if you were constructing a dark ride when it came to to designing this? Like, you've got a lot of influences in your work. Um, maybe 
that's the next place to go is to talk about, I guess, let's start by talking about where you guys met because I think that'll also kind of give people a perspective on like who you are. Because like there's folks, there's definitely folks on the creative side that have met you and whatnot, but like I think there's a lot of folks who are fans of the work who maybe come across you once or twice and would, would recognize you if they've seen you, but they may not necessarily know what work you've done. So yeah, start off with like where you guys met. Yeah, so we met two years ago on the uh, JFI production of Creep Lore, uh, which was the, the the one that they did in conjunction with Amazon Studios. Uh, I was a producer on that. David was, I don't know what your role at that time particularly was. It's changed since then, so I'm not All sure. kinds of yeah. things, you know. <laughs> it depends on the show for like, even for Willows, it's like, partially when when i was started with willows i was creative consultant and then by the time that we were doing the creeps i believe my title was co-artistic director but it involves you know i'm also code dish scrubber and and <laughs> guest checker inner so that's that's very normal creeper. for for jfi yeah so that's where we met we Subsequently, I did a little bit of work on the Willows as well. We worked again this year on uh, the Creep uh, 2018, uh, and then we just sort of over the course of that just kind of started talking about this project about almost oh, about a year ago. So, David, uh, so you how did you land at work with JFI? Yeah, I uh, well, I had been in the themed entertainment world in Orlando, and then I came over to LA at like sort of a golden era. I feel like it was 2016, so the his Crimson Queen delusion was happening. Tension had started. Creep was doing its second year show entry. I did a Heretic show. There was all kinds of stuff happening, and I really appreciated to to me and this is going to probably sound more pretentious than i mean for it too but to me creep felt like the most lynchian of all the shows which i found intriguing personally and so i reached out to justin fix and we started working on at the time when the willows was going to be called uh so clue and it was going to be more murder leaning into a murder mystery dinner before it Wait, became what it so is now comma clue or so dat dash dat 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 oh yeah i think it's like so clue like no i don't think there maybe were even any punctuation marks or anything but it had but, that uh, like, vibe of like so clue yeah yeah so <laughs> yeah. I, I could, so clue <laughs> <laughs> yeah um so it's evolved obviously quite a bit to where it is now but that was what i started doing with jfi and this show the JFI team has been aware of fragments of it because I probably wrote it about two years and some change ago. And um, the pieces of it have been coming together for, for quite a while, but it was always the um, I'll get to it kind of project. And there's a, there's a, a lot of other, you know, day life things that, that made it that way. But Eric and I really, like he mentioned, started playing around with it about a year ago in earnest and it's, it's just really tightened in now. And there's moments in the show that definitely weren't in the version two years ago that are some of people's favorites now. So, Eric, I'll get to your background in a second, but, but this is an interesting point for me is what took you from having written it, thinking about it, talking about it with people in fragments, what pushed you to the point of, okay, no, we're really doing it? What was the, what was the, the switch moment? 
just probably stubbornness in some level because I I think what I realized and probably this has been the the thing that's gotten a lot of people to do their own personal passion project for the first time is the feeling like there's never going to be a time when it's like oh okay all the angels are singing and it's time to do this we I just have to we just Seeing have to and raining money down that's on right so yeah all the all the dots line up and it oh, just and feels motto, perfect so um yeah so it was really just okay this will be you know an experimental thing i was curious enough about what it would mean to have a single person experience that had a heavier focus on fantastical elements because i hadn't seen that much of that in the market out here and and that also used the puppetry and some of the other elements of this show and um eric really helped me just in the sense of i'm some I try to be business minded sometimes, but I'm really kind of a wacky creative guy. And in all the senses of my first time doing this, I was like, I'm going to have it be this really weird long name. I'm going to have it be open for two days and we're not going to market it. We're going to keep it super low radar. 10 people go through it. And then we sort of talked more about how to make it feel like a real thing people could be aware of. And um, in terms of just the germinating moment, I think it was just because it percol. I felt it would percolate to so many other elements of other work for me that knowing how this was received by an audience, all the little bits of it, whether they worked or didn't work, would help strengthen the design of future experiences. JFI, even fu- future stuff in the theme park world could benefit from learning the things that we've learned, seeing people engage with this show. Eric, how, how, did, you, how did you wind up uh, working on that lore show? Like what brought, and what brought you to Los Angeles? What's your, what's your story <laughs> here? I used to run a theater and uh, the Cincinnati Fringe Festival for seven or eight years. I took a couple of really weird kind of outside of my skill set stretches for what I had normally done contracts doing some programming consulting at the National Underground Railroad Freedom Center for a year and then I ran a historic renovation construction project for a brief period of time before I decided that I couldn't find other things to do in Cincinnati and needed to go someplace where I could uh, find something else to do so I moved to LA uh, and my first uh, contact basically in the world of uh, immersive was I reached out to Annie Saunders who I've subsequently also produced a multiple shows with uh, and almost immediately we hit it off and I think within a week she had a meeting scheduled with Justin and was like you should come along I'll introduce you and then I was basically working on lore <laughs> oh, wow and he loves horror that was his prime motivation for getting involved with all of jfi exactly. and this show my absolute favorite <laughs> you're laughing so am i detecting sarcasm here yeah <laughs> i'm not really a huge fan i mean i'm definitely i'm definitely far more impressed with the horror community in los angeles than i've seen elsewhere but in general horror doesn't do a lot for me yeah so I haven't really spent very much time in it because I'm bored by it. Yeah. <laughs> Which these are much more interesting pieces than the things I've had experience with in the past. But uh, and this is to me, this feels much more like a piece of theater in general than it does a horror experience. Even yeah. though we're calling it a horror experience, experience, experience. Is this an experience? <laughs> it's so experience. Oh, all right. I, now we're all tied we just, together. We just, we just murdered that word. So could um, I have died today. Yeah. No, I, and, and, you know, the things Eric's mentioning are significant because 
part of what makes it feel like such a hybrid on more the theater side is to me some of bringing in that DNA of somebody who's not a diehard horror person. I think if you would even talk to some of the other creators of stuff that do things that could be classified as horror genre pieces out here, that wasn't why they did it. It kind of came about just because of the 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 way that horror has the capacity to bring certain things into an audience and engage you immediately but um it's it's been very important to not have to have eric come from a different angle with this thing yeah i mean horror is definitely the most visceral of the genres right like you know drama really isn't sci-fi no comedy is its own kind of visceral but also I feel very hard to do in an immersive experiential way because comedy is so tends to be so performative. Like how does a Pratt fall really translate into immersive? Like it would in some ways be more tragic than like, like watching. I think of like, say like Chevy chase falling down a set of stairs, like which is a classic Saturday night live, like him doing Ford like bit, which completely ages me. Although he was doing that when I was like a baby. (laughs) So it's just seeing enough of it in the eighties, but like thinking of something like that, if you watched a performer, live take a a tumble down the stairs the way Chevy Chase did particularly in an immersive you'd probably freak out and wonder if they had broken their neck Um, so it's not it's not exactly easy to translate whereas horror because particularly if we think like horror filmmaking so much of it is about playing with perspective putting blinders on the audience withholding information letting tension build and then uh, bringing that to a boil, not releasing it, but like exploding it in a moment. And there's a lot for us about, you know, you mentioned withholding. I think the atmosphere and something Eric talks about a lot that we keep trying to dial into is the periphery nature of this experience that we're really, you're letting the audience, as you mentioned, fill in some of the 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 elements of the show with their own imagination and their own things they're bringing to the show which would probably be, you know, I, th- I think we're both interested in trying to explore other types of genres and other textures and aesthetics, but there's something nice about the darkness and what it lets you see in it rather than you having to say what it is. Yeah, I think, I mean, so we've been talking kind of a lot about the the idea of this is memory and that memory has sort of gaps in it. Memory has empty holes in it. So the idea that, that this peripheral, there's always this something on the periphery. It's not just sort of text-based, but it's kind of how we've built the experience. It goes along with this idea of the camera perspective and the POV because you're sort of being forced to look this way, but your periphery is certainly seeing things in other, uh, in other parts of the room or other parts of the, of the design. Uh, and it's really built around that kind of idea. And I think that's where the strength of it is, is because you can't, quite even when experiencing it identify all the things that are happening and you don't expect a lot of the things to happen that are because you're being set up for something else or you're catching something else on your periphery Uh, and so it has really kind of a it walks a really nice fine line there of like it's a very full experience it's a very full show um, but there's it feels like there's a whole lot that didn't happen to you that could have happened to you I would imagine that's like part of what makes something feel very full, right? Is like I think of when people who you know, deeply engage with some of the persistent fictional franchises, like part of the appeal is 
all those little glimpses of things at the edges of the world, right? Like the the distant mountains, as Tolkien would refer, refer to them as. Um, that that creates that sense of that you're in a space that's bigger than what you actually are. Um, oh. Yeah, and that's been uh, we've had a lot of just commentary from guests that that are are pretty humorous in the sense of people seeing things that are definitely not in our show. Uh, happening and also there's a lot of fun with moments that people definitely think are going to happen the way they're expecting and then subverting that but also just the idea of people saying they feel like there's so much more to both in terms of this the story of it and also the physical space there's so much more to explore here that they are already immediately asking us you know when can we see the like bigger parts of this world is there anywhere else we can shine the light and Mm. and you know in the future so it's nice to to have people feel like it's it's a world in that way talk to me about converting this like kind of two part like zombie jones is interesting that's there's a there's a black box theater there's a big lobby uh and there's some backstage area and you guys have access to the whole space to do whatever you want to it essentially um because you've, you've rented out for like a month like, like three months three months yeah. oh my goodness uh you rent out for for a quarter of the year yeah so like what Fools. <laughs> <laughs> what um what has been the process of converting this spot because you know i mean we're we're in a space that functions as a theater most of the time so i, I look above my head right now and i'm seeing definitely some lighting positions that are that are being used but i know like when i'm in the show like i don't notice it as a theater i was like touring like a raw space earlier today and like talking about like the height of the ceilings and talking about like hanging instruments with someone and i was like yeah but like you know you don't really want to you don't want to hang those instruments and have them be seen by people because you want to like get people you want to you want to you want the versatility you want people to like not be brected out you know yeah, no, we are definitely hoping that they're not aware of the 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 skeleton of everything that's going on technically, even though it's a pretty technically involved show. In terms of building it out, I mean, you know, Eric, could, we should probably speak more to this. Of We did have a really great technical director named David Maurer who's worked with us on this thing to help f- uh, fulfill some of the the physical structure of this place. But from the beginning, I have been a guest here a number of times to different shows and have seen them use, you know, all parts of the Buffalo. And, um, I, it was important to purposefully change the space for us so that I wouldn't come in and have that, that sense memory of, Oh yeah, right. This is X room. Yeah. You know, it is funny. Like I've been, I've been to zombie Joe's both for like, you know, urban death, like in its normal form. I've been here for the the p- version that has a um, has a maze before it. I've been here for you know solo shows, and I've been here even for like an art piece that was put up. and And it does amaze me that for like a storefront theater, like how many different, not just looks, but how many different pathways through this space it's it's possible to make in here. Because uh, how much square footage is in here? Yeah, like, it's under a thousand. It's yeah. just under a thousand, but it's only about eight hundred, nine hundred. Yeah, and yet there, it, yet it can feel it feels so expansive when you're when you're in one of those pieces in here. 
it's it's really it almost like boggles the mind that like it's such little space and yet you can still pack so much into it. Yeah, and there's definitely a few areas where I feel like I wish I had more space, but this has been it's been such a great space to work in. We went through I mean, this is probably the fourth venue we actually looked at and thought we might secure for the show. So we've gone through numerous iterations of the layouts of how we would push the audience through. Um, this one is almost one of the simpler ones, which I think is also one of the reasons why it works so good. Some of the spaces we were looking at were two or 3,000 square feet before this, making us pare down, making us figure out how best to use a 1,000 square feet or less, I think has really benefited the show and benefited the audience journey as well because nothing goes unused. The amount of space in here we're not using is just a bathroom and a walkway basically in the entire room so that our, our uh, performers and crew can move around. We're using every other bit of this, but we would have probably expanded these rooms. This room would have been twice the size unnecessarily in another space because we had the space. And I think we found a great deal of benefit in just how we've been able to use what space we have available here. And we've gotten some great feedback, including from Zombie Joe and some of his staff of like, I didn't know where I was while I was inside of my own venue, <laughs> which is amazing to hear. And they come out because that's, you know, the disorientation aspect was something we were shooting for. So yeah, in a weird way, there was a sort of site specificity, even though it's a black box, just because we did have to reconfigure some of how we originally envisioned some of these sequences based on just how it naturally laid out. And like Eric said, I think that we've, we've experienced a benefit from that for sure. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's been really cool to just try and play around with the space and still achieve the idea of something that I felt creatively was important from the beginning, which is that it does take you back to a childhood mindset where it's almost like you're in your, your bedroom or your living room and there's a vastness at night in the dark where you don't quite know where the edges are. Mm. even in a space that feels physically limited. So trying to strike that balance was, was important. And, and, and the fact that people are saying it feels bigger, it, it, it seems successful to us in a, in a good way. Yeah. Do you, do you have a sense of what's triggering that sense of things feeling bigger? Is there, there's something about the way you're onboarding people or, or any transition points that are helping produce that effect? I, I honestly think a lot of it is just sort of the rest of the production design. We've mm. got, I think, uh, lighting is sort of the key component of that, but the yeah. sound design that we've got in here too is built in such a way that we have multiple systems within the venue so we can make sounds come from far away. We can make sounds come from right next to your head and that helps understand, that helps kind of create a language of vastness when we need it and a language of intimacy when we need that. And then the lighting aspect like David was talking about, if you can't see the edge of the room, you don't know where the edge of the room yeah. is. Yeah. and it's quite dark in here when we're performing the piece uh, and I think that helps a lot because that helps us sort of control again what that POV is but it also just gives that feeling of what is beyond what I can actually see right now I can tell there's something beyond it but I don't know what it is yeah I was probably kind of like at a certain points kind of a dick about just like how much how much lower can we make these lights because because <laughs> because yeah that felt important even with like some of the the creatures that are in the show there's the temptation to, you know, they always talk about it with horror movies, like showing the monster too much. There's such a temptation for us to let people see every little detail. But in the end, it's more important for the holistic piece to hide some of that on purpose. So let's talk about the creatures. Cause good luck. Now, now that you've, well, <laughs> now that you've brought let's it up, let's talk around the creatures. Let's talk around, so you, you broached the subject of the creatures. Mm -hmm. So there, there are creatures in this work. This is factual. Yes. Um, could you tell us about 
not necessarily the nature of the creatures, but could you talk about maybe the, the uh, physical origin of the creatures? Possibly. Um, they're, they're moms. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. Um, it, you know, the, the it was important from the beginning for us to really try and play with, you know, especially be inspired by some other shows that have a, a fantastical creature element to them um, in town. You know, I I personally have found like a delusion or a Kaiden project really interesting in the way that they've engaged with, with, with puppetry. And so what I can say is that there was a conscious element for us of trying to experiment a little bit with how it, how it could feel to make a, a true connection with, with a, with a creature puppet, which would only really be possible to, to me for a solo experience. So what does it mean when you're really truly having that one-on-one moment or that, that two-on-one moment with a, with a creature, how does that, how do you engage with uncanny Valley at the same time, still make it feel like, okay, I'm really actually, I'm really having a conversation with this, this thing. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's one thing that's always was interesting about watching people say, interact with one of the Muppets like you watch a television interview, like I, my favorite thing w- would be to watch and l- and meaning one of my actual favorite things would be like watch an interview someone on television would conduct with like Jim Henson or Frank Oz when they had like Kermit or Piggy with them. Mm-hmm. And like you'd watch like Johnny Carson and he would just talk to Kermit. I mean, Jim's right there, but uh, but but he's talking to, to Kermit. And, yeah. and that and that back and forth, and even though you see Jim talking, because there's no there's no ventriloquism here, like somehow through the performance, uh, it was it was perfectly possible, particularly when you were eight to thirty eight years old, uh, to to just believe that like yes, like there's Kermit, and, and that's a person, and he just happens to need Jim Henson's throat once in a while to speak. Yeah, and uh, absolutely, and and you know another key thing for us with the with the puppetry side that's really emerged aesthetically is this mix of and it's in the whole show but this kind of mix of whimsy and scary horror elements at the same time a lot of which came from just being inspired by great examples of that from the past like uh you know a never-ending story or a dark crystal where the creatures that you see are scary but there's also almost a um cuteness to them so so Without I mean, divulging too much, yeah, these are adorable, right? You know, right. Even as they are frightening, Gelfling. Yeah, Gelfling. and 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 I—that's th- probably why people have really been able to let their childhood side of their brain reign uh, in control when they've been in here. Is that anything they encounter isn't just isn't just one type of thing? It's never just oh, it's scary. It's scary, but it's also comforting, or it's scary, but it's got some sense of. A familial relationship and even to the point of the cast you know we we rehearsed our cast separately so that each of them could have very different approaches to the the um the lines and the even though the blocking and this and is very specific to the show each of them took different things away from it and for one of our performers tara strong from the beginning to her there was an importance of treating those creatures that she's in this environment with uh, in this sort of you know nightmare loop as family and and trying to say you know these are the, at this point these are the things I have an emotional connection with more than other human beings mm-hmm. so even if there's a torment for me in this place 
there's also a sense of us wanting to look out for each other and a sense of an emotional bond with your tormentors if if that makes sense and the needing of each other yeah yeah which i think you really get from her performance as well you just sort of have this sensation i think and that's and the, the performers are really helping the performers are not puppeteers they are not engaged as puppeteers they are just performers um but they are what's selling the puppets as well because their belief in what's happening their belief in how these creatures interact with them and with these guests and their belief in what to expect out of these creatures is the is the guest immediately just jumps on board with it because they're so amazing at putting that out there uh or the the mark hamill school of acting as it were right <laughs> you know like sure the, the classical like he's he's stuck on the the swamp set can't hear anything right. but he he sells you that puppet and thus yoda is born so um what have been some of the things you've learned so far uh, making this work, particularly since this is this is your first time uh, as a duo, but I also think both for both of you, this is your first time putting on being being the the, the top liner creatives putting on the show. So what's maybe been like the biggest surprise about getting a show out there? For me, it's just continuing to have a fresh perspective on what it means for someone to come into an environment for the very first time that you've been um, very dialed into and very in the weeds in. So um, we have, we continue to be surprised and it's part of what makes immersive theater so compelling to me. There's a, there's a variety and a, an element of, of continual surprise and the, the guests that come through, you never quite know exactly what people are going to do. So the show is very controlled. However, there are a couple of moments where the guest is able to have some level of uncertain, a purposeful uncertainty on what to do next. And watching people organically react to those moments has been very illuminating. So that has informed that during our test runs and preview, we were continually tightening the lines and the 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 sound and the lighting to to help with those moments but there's always going to be and i think that it's been a while since i've engaged with it in this way but it goes back to like haunted attraction days for me there's always going to be a surprise uh that somebody brings so um developing the in the future developing stuff with that in mind um will will just make it stronger I mean, is is it even possible to like because there's because there's always an X factor, like how much how much prep work? And I think this is a big design question. Like how much prep work? How much like you know disaster gaming uh, can you do before you actually start putting bodies through? And like you know, I don't want to say live fire, but like test audiences are so important to figuring out that but like i guess because maybe what i'm looking for would be if you could like put like percentages on like how how much of of the work of like okay we're, we're designing how this is going to work how it's going to through how we're going to craft these moments and we're going to anticipate people's reactions so we, you know we're going to do this instead of this because we think they're going to go this way um how much of that from before you started actually testing with people held up what percent of that held up and how much of it changed after the fact i mean i feel like most of it was most of it was at least there in thought if not in exact appropriate execution 
and it was really the play testers, but also our first guests. We've, I mean, we, the, I come from a philosophy. It seems as though David does as well that we just keep tweaking because we want the show to keep getting better and to keep growing. So, yeah, um, I think that that has the play testers certainly helped us poke holes in some of the things we thought they would just understand innately, which they did not. Uh, but so is the audience. And the audience has also given us other ideas and other thoughts about how to improve things that were working, but maybe weren't working as well as they could have been, which we didn't even realize until we found four people do something. We're like, oh, four people have done that. Maybe we should change that. Yeah, um, it's, yeah there's but definitely... it takes a while. It's a number. It's kind of a numbers game, especially with such a low throughput. Like we put, I think we only put, like 14 or 12 test audience through which took us two nights to do because we're one person at a time and we've only had 160 people through the show entirely and that's almost selling out every performance in three weeks (laughs) it's it's also there's an intangible thing that 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 i continually get reminded of in in the sort of pre-production process which is when it's a single person show like this there's only so long i can be the audience member as we're directing it at some point because we want the intimacy, you're going to have to, as the director, step to the into the shadows or even outside the building so that you're not heard creaking around and ruining the show. And you're really going to let trust your, your, your crew, trust your performers, trust your puppeteers to deliver that intimate experience. So um, there's a there's a point of that where it's just you can't you, you can you can get the design elements up to a certain point and then um, you have to be able to let it be a thing that you can never fully experience again that being said have you have you have you stuck yourself back through after some of the tweaking or oh sure you, yeah. yeah well and we also i because of the benefit of being able to, to to you know all told i i forget what our exact number of people that could could come through potentially but at this point i think we've already had over 150 people come through and um there are elements that we we'll say okay maybe we'll change something and say let's just see how this one it's very scientific method like we'll we'll see how this one element plays for a night and if it works that's great if it's if 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 we think we can drive it further oh okay people seem to be getting this let's do another little thing to that same moment and see how that works so um we're able to have the delicacy of not rushing into those design decisions which has been really really nice what's so the show's running right now and this is going up let's see where this is the 17th yeah today yes today's the 17th so this is running the 19th uh how long how much longer is the show running we have well, currently we're we're running the show through to may 5th Fourth, uh, I think. At the Fourth. sunday the the is it saturday or sunday i think it's sunday the fourth isn't it okay Anyway. To be determined. <laughs> Look at your <laughs> that weekend. That weekend. Consult consult your calendars and the oracles, and you shall see. <laughs> um, but we're you know you never know. We're we're if if folks are curious enough, we may have the capacity to be able to stick around a little longer. We're we're trying to figure that out right now. What has this experience uh, has given you a desire to tackle the next the next idea? Sure. The next idea. Uh, well, there's always you know a, a thousand different ideas in various forms of gestation, but you know, I, I, one thing I was going to say earlier that that you were asking what we learned. I think one thing I've been really encouraged by is this story is the kind of story I would want to see as an audience member. But there's a there's a level of purposeful abstraction to it, and so I found myself really relieved that the audience takes things away from it. 
um, and and is able to enjoy the sort of mercurial nature of it and that that has strengthened my confidence to tell stories that that are in the same world of of um of of indirection like i think a lot of my life comes from the playwriting world of a a harold pinter or somebody like that or a beckett that that does withhold things in stories so um, I don't know necessarily if the next thing for uh, for for us would be a continuation of this world, or if it would just be learning from it and and crafting something new, um, or if we would even take this thing someplace else. We're not really sure yet. There is that. something. There is something to that. Uh, Bakettian and Pinter, you know, the storytelling and the gaps, mm. like it's the pauses and and the spaces in between, and everything that's not being said. And there's something to that. And that's definitely something I think that like immersive is perfectly suited to. And yet I don't, I don't know how many people chase that star. And yeah. And I'd be curious to keep, that's something I would definitely like to keep exploring. Maybe it's just even just out of purposeful revolt against my life in the theme park world in the day where the stories are fairly explained, fairly everything very clearly explicit and not, not, not not that kind of explicit. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but, but yeah, I mean, you know, you get, you do get the sense that, and it's even sort of happened when, when you have a Harold Pinter and he's written a pretty wide range of stuff from very serious minimalistic drama pieces to, almost like farcical comedy but it always has that same sense of the gaps and the pinter pause and the holding things back and um so uh, for me and i i I, maybe eric feels sort of the same way regardless of genre or the specific story i think that will always be part of my approach going forward is to just continue to push that idea because i'm very I am personally like anti soapbox in like in terms of storytelling. I should never, I don't ever want to be yelling and screaming the story at the top of our lungs and the audience has strengthened my feeling that there is an appetite to, to do exactly what you're saying. So even if we were to go completely out of the shadows into something comedic down the line or different or, or dramatic, there's still a lot of work to be done in exploring the boundaries of the form. Eric, what about you? What are what are you looking towards? I'm sorry. What was the question again? I got lost in David's dulcet tones. <laughs> so, the, I mean, the question is like, you know, going forward. Like, what what are you kind of looking forward to going forward? I mean, for me, the excitement, especially having come from a theatrical background, produced and directed almost a hundred plays, at least dozens, probably while running a theater. Uh, to me, it's just exciting to get back into that game here and to figure out what that means in Los Angeles versus what it means. <laughs> if I may, what it means in a place that actually loves theater. <laughs> um, Los Angeles is a challenging market, and I think that the uh, one of the reasons that this form has particularly taken hold here is because it moves theater outside of theaters, and that's a thing that Los Angeles has a challenge with, uh, is bringing audiences into traditional theaters. They want, if I may, experiences yeah. a little bit more you than may. they want <laughs> traditional theater. Um, and so I think that that, for me, has been one of the most interesting learnings as well as just sort of like oh right remembering all these habits i used to have when producing and directing shows of like oh oh, right i've been five years since i exercised that muscle i have to do this this and this again yeah well i mean and the la thing is i mean it's so fascinating like 
there are pockets of good theater culture in LA, but there are there are pockets. In a place this big, there's always yeah. I mean, there's absolutely yeah. an audience, but yeah, it's finding them, and it's it's I don't know. It's yeah. it's not the same kind of thorough love and understanding yeah. of a form. Well, and I think it's I think it's because so many people get burned. Like I was at uh, I was at the USC Festival of Books, and there was a storytelling show I was a part of, and like the last person to go up with a stand up comic who had written a poem about. Uh, her friends uh, inviting them to their plays uh, and how much of a, a pain in the ass it was to go to people's plays. And I think for a lot of people in LA, in LA that is their experience of theater. Your friend asks you to go to their show exactly. and the show is terrible in some fashion. Um, and maybe they're good in it or maybe they're not. But, you know, um, essentially it's like y- y- you wind up at, you know, Gene Cousineau's theater watching Gene Cousineau's rent or whatever it is. And like, you know, getting the full experience from, from Barry. Uh, and it's, it's such a trope, but in, even in like LA media, it's a trope and anyone talks about it, LA theater, it, they hit that note, but everyone in LA has been to that show. And once, once bitten, twice shy. So I think the vast majority of people, that's usually what they've encountered first, and then they run screaming uh, unless they feel completely obligated to, to go out. And yet, between some of the crazier, weirder, funkier stuff at, at Fringe and then and then Immersive, I think we've, we've gotten to s- kind of find that L.A. has, uh, an ide- has identities of theater that are actually really engaging. Uh, and that's one of the things that makes me happy to be doing this work here. Well, and the, the sort of the cultural, the, the way that this stuff slots into a culture is sort of fascinating. You know, all credit to like Ricky Berganti and Sarah Elger for doing pseudonym in the middle of uh, Orlando, where there's a completely different way that theater is is looked at for a theme park audience. So, um, yeah, I, th- I think we're we're always curious about just how these things get understood and consumed by a different market yeah and that's that's a that's a big thing that's interesting right now because yeah you had you had ricky and sarah out in orlando and now that now they're like like philadelphia they're all over the place yeah Yeah. and then um you know we see denver right now is really i mean charlie miller over the dcpa's off center is bringing a lot of people through and doing a lot of interesting work yeah Uh, and, and and that's giving people like a destination like giving artists a destination to go to after they've like uh you know developed something which is kind of like the next phase of sort of this track of immersive like yeah we, we don't we don't have a circuit yet and yet we're starting to see the stirrings of one well and you know and we're no no um disrespect to the local immersive theater audience that really gets into this stuff eagerly but we've been the most fascinated by people who have no idea what this show is who we had we had a guest recently came through who had really never seen an immersive theater show had been to one sort of Edgar Allan Poe horror mystery play recently but um but came to this completely fresh and um and and liked it but but we learned so much from that and it's you know this is probably going a little bit off off topic but just you know seeing like in the report for immersive theater that exists in the united states now that that no pro did just seeing that this stuff exists in in most of the states if not all of them now is really encouraging because yeah we we put this thing on because it's like i said it's something i would want to go to if i was a guest but it's still um 
you know, at the end of the day, we're in this very insular world where everybody knows what this stuff is, and um, and you could still go to you know the Midwest and not necessarily know. Oh, yeah. So so I I want to keep trying to figure out how for the health of the industry we we get to those audiences. Yeah. I mean, we could we can walk out the door here into into NoHo, go up the street and ask people what immersive theater was and they have no clue whatsoever so like we're so like i think i think that's one of the the problems that we have um in in the the scene but not the industry but the scene in immersive is is the sense of like everybody knows everyone and everyone knows everything that's going on and like these are the walls and these are the borders and that's that's all there is it all already can feel claustrophobic and the thing I've been banging a drum on for five years now is like we haven't even started. Like yeah. you, you may think you've gotten to like the edge of the pan. Oh no. Like like the and even if we do, there are like four more burners on this thing and other pans. Yeah, if you ever think you've gotten to the edge of the the pan, uh just stand outside with Eric and I when people walk by and say, What is this? and try to explain what it is. <laughs> the looks on their faces when they're like What? what? And that's, I mean, I think that's, that was something like I, I talked to the Festival of Books last week and it was interesting because like uh, I asked, I asked, you know, how many people thought that it had at least heard of an immersive experience or I asked how many people had no idea what, what it was and like about five or six people out of it, it was only about 60 people in the audience, but like five or six people raised their hands and I was like, okay, well maybe this one might not be for you, but, um, and there was some, some, some older ladies who like left about halfway through because I think they were like oh this is they were like oh this is not remotely what I thought it was going to be um but just this this knowledge of like when we go outside of our bubble like how do we talk about it you know I mean it got easier it got easier thanks to Westworld like that's been a great boon uh, on us but like the language we use inevitably points towards other media like you know nowadays I talk about Westworld but like in the past I've talked about dark rides like when I had to describe then she fell at the beginning and sometimes I would say, well, you know, like Peter Pan ride at Disneyland. So like imagine that broke down. You got to walk around London, but the pirates weren't robots. They were people. Uh, and that's how I would describe what a dark ride was. Uh, and now I get to say it's Westworld, but you can't kill them and you can't screw them. Um, and and that's people get that if they've got premium cable. But um a lot of folks like just don't even engage with, with that stuff. And I still think in here in the Southland, like the number of people who go to Disney, go to the Harry Potter land at universal, go to ghost town at knots. Like there, there's far more people who clear those gates in a day. I think than than people who have been to immersive theater in Los Angeles. And I just go, that's the audience that hasn't been cracked yet. Well, and you know, I I've, I think I'm a big fan of what I always end up referring to as like Trojan horsing things in on people. So mm. whether it's like uh, Trojan horsing a story and on somebody when they don't think they're going to be getting one, or surprise, you know, sneaking some immersive theater in, and it's sort of like the you got peanut butter in my chocolate, you got chocolate in my peanut butter thing. I gave up sugar to my um, so, Okay, sorry, sorry, no sugar. Um, no, we're really cutting a lot of things out of here. No experience, no sugar. It's the, yeah, that's okay. Um, but, uh, but that's true. Always puppets are always okay. Um, but yeah, no, the, the, the notion of taking a audience that thinks this might be a haunted attraction experience maybe, and then sneaking a little immersive theater in to that audience 
and sort of realizing that they're all the same thing at the end of the day and we put all these li- these these lines up everywhere but um you know a Halloween Horror Nights maze still has a lot of consistent elements with this thing that we're bringing we're just to Eric's point trying to bring a little bit more of a theatrical perspective to it and um, that's cool for people who are like, oh, you know, the, those are probably the most exciting people for us are the ones who are like, OK, what else is out here that's like that now? And we try and get them. There's other horror experiences, but also just other things that aren't in that world that now they may be willing to try because they found this one worthwhile. And as much as a thing like Westworld, I think, expands the audience of people who have at least an understanding of the form, I think it does an equally sized disservice to certain kinds of performances. This is nothing like a Westworld experience. There are zero comparisons that you can make with the exception of some of the tactics we use to move people around, essentially. But it is a completely unique, immersive experience, just like Westworld was a completely unique, immersive experience. Uh, But it sets a different kind of tone and a different kind of vocabulary. And as we, as a community, kind of struggle to find and grow audience, Uh, I think there's such a diversity of kinds of experiences like this that we have to figure out how we talk about what the differences are because we're not Creep, we're not Westworld, and we're not Apartment 8 or Blind Date, but we share things in common with every single one of those things. But if you have gone to one of them, you may have zero interest in coming to ours or vice versa. Well, I think, and a a big thing there is like the scope of agency, right? Like, I mean, for me, the critical thing when we're talking immersive is that we're 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 talking agency in some way and here that's almost purely kind of a limited physical agency like you're you're in the space but you are controlled it's a lot more dark right it's a lot more like then she fell if if you have the highest degree of agency you have is on the emotional axis sure right? so you don't have narrative agency you've got you've got physical agency in the sense of that like you you are being moved and you must move yourself through this space uh, although your choices are are constrained but how much you give yourself over to the scene and how much uh like I've, I've started to come to thinking about it as when i'm in a one-on-one where it's mostly about emotional agency it's a lot more like directing than it is even like acting. Like I used to think about it in terms of like, oh, it's like I'm in an acting class and I've forgotten all my lines, so I'm just gonna be a very good partner uh, for my scene partner. And now I'm realizing like there's there's aspects of that, particularly when it comes to like the nonverbal. Like I I don't get very verbal. I think that's something that might actually surprise some people in <laughs> in these things. Is like I tend I maybe I'm less verbal than some guests would be, although. I'm sure like Derek Spencer's listening to this right now. It's like, what? You talk through all my shows. But it's like, no, I talked to the one show where you didn't tell me not to talk. So like the characters were talking at me and I was like, it felt natural. So, but like if, if the characters aren't engaging in conversation, but they are, but they are talking or guiding, like I try and like do, I get into kind of a child mind and I try and like give like as, as, as little verbal in order to kind of like see what what comes out of them and and just try and tune in emotionally well and what i would say and i didn't to preserve you know for any folks who might still be trying to to come through this thing uh, we talked a lot with our test audience about how much we should set up an answer to that one way or the other up at the beginning and i don't i don't think i want to i won't specify it now either but but you know that that is definitely it's omitted in the onboarding procedure whether you how much you should talk if at all 
Yeah. And I think there's and in, in, in that sort of that ch- kind of choice is, is 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 it's good, I think, to have like little little bands of 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 agency. Right. Like I think almost like when you when you when you if you give people a whole bunch of options, particularly in a short piece, you give people a whole bunch of options. Like you're going to get the scenario where people start like crawling around like yeah. the back of the set. Or there's like a paralysis of choice where you're just like, okay, I right. don't have any idea what to do. So I'm just going to stand here. Yeah. Um, and so the, the, this, this idea of like how to, how to kind of guide people through that or how much um, I think of it. Sometimes I think in terms of video games, like something very simple. It's like, I have this button. I can push this button. This is the button I can push. Yeah. And like, that's going to, you know, that's how I do it. Well, and, and I also would I think it's worth speaking to specifically with horror. And I feel like this is getting into like a lot of specific, like experiential mechanic. But um, to me, there's two kinds of horror immersive theatrical experiences to play with one. And there's some bleed, but generally speaking, there's the piece that's about I've made incorrect decisions and now I have to live with the consequences mm. or the piece that's about inevitability. And it's almost like there's no, it was already preordained that you were going to be in this horrific situation from the beginning. So this piece definitely fits more into the sense of it was all going to happen this way, no matter what you did. You're, it's inevitable you're going to be facing these things just like our narrator has because they also did not have the choice to, to combat this um, versus an experience which um, – we've played with before and other works and may again of, of, okay, you get to have that, that, that moment of agency and now you have to live with it one way or the other. And usually in horror, at least your choices are probably bad. <laughs> it's bad or worse. <laughs> like, which one do you want? Worse, please. But I think you do have to ask yourself those, those structural story questions when you're developing something. And if you break from, either one of those modes into the other, you have to do it purposefully rather than by accident. Talk, talk to that a little bit, like purposely rather than by accident. Are you talking about in terms of presenting that information to the audience, like making it clear that there's a choice or are you talking about finding yourself structuring a piece and then suddenly realizing, Oh, I just got, I got to let them choose. It's the stru- Yeah. It's the structural side. I mean, it's, it's what people talk about with like, the you know a an abstract painter who had to learn the fun- fundamentals so that they could purposefully break from them so in the same way if 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 we were to have set out making this piece that's about inevitability and and almost the um uncontrolled ability of just going through a nightmare where you have this path you have to take because it's the path you always have taken um however if you want to seed in those moments of consequence then you have to be like, okay, now we're going to make this a moment of consequence. I know where it starts. I know where it ends. And then I get back to the primary mode of the experience, which is that inevitability. Mm-hmm. So it's it's really just, you know, the show, even though it's fairly short, is filled with very purposeful structural choices to transition people from from literal physical space to the next space but also emotional space and um you know brings them through a couple of different hybrids of how you might encounter an experience like this and that's i think it's just that's by design you just have to really be diligent about those things and at least for me i mean i think there's i i would not just i would not um 
say you're not allowed to do something that has more of a happy accident you arrived at those things it doesn't always have to be purposeful but that for me there's an architecture of it that i've always tried to strive for all right gentlemen is there anything we haven't touched on which we absolutely should talk about um I'm feeling like that's that's a that's a I'm no. We staring have staring at Eric <laughs> meaningfully. Yeah, we have been at this for an hour. So I mean, I yeah. Feel like we've, I guess we've, for me, the only thing that we that we that we've consistently failed to talk about is because we talk about the face of our creatures, but not the hand in the creatures. <laughs> uh, our puppeteer, who has been extraordinary and has been working with us since the since the beginning of rehearsals, um, has brought these guys to life and has done some amazing work. Uh, and can never even see what they're doing because is never seen in the same place as them. <laughs> uh, so that's been really kind of not just fun to watch her figure out how to make those moments work and how to bring these creatures to life for us. Uh, but it's just been kind of amazing to watch the creatures come to life in front of you, especially like you throw them under lights, you put them on the set, and all of a sudden <laughs> they're breathing, and you're like, holy cow, that's amazing. I I did not expect that. Yeah, I would, I would also say, too, just like our whole, like, you know, Rachel Burson, who's the puppeteer is referring to, and also our other crew members, like Michelle Sharp, Elizabeth Eichler, and, and Amanda Eno, who's our stage manager, um, are are doing a lot of stuff right now in the show. And there's a there's hybridization for sure. Some of them are, are, are also puppeteering to some extent. Yeah, it's, for sure. It's, it's a, 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 yeah, there's a lot of mechanical stuff going on that hopefully nobody's ever consciously aware of. Um, but yeah, um, them challenging themselves with in that way has been really fun and a lot of great things have come out of it. And to be honest, like some of the things that we struggled to figure out, they came in and were like, oh no, you just do this and that solves that problem. <laughs> so they've yeah. been great resources for us and they've made this thing run so incredibly smoothly that the moment someone walks out of the experience, another person can walk in almost immediately without any time in between. Oh, that's yeah. fantastic. But it's but it's always fun when you get to have a table read just for crew without the cast. Like you actually get to have a crew table read is, is really fun for me. Um just because of the nature of how weird this show is. Um yeah. And I, you know, and I, the other thing that I would just close like put as a closing thought possibly is um it'll be fine. Come check it out. It's not <laughs> we won't we're not going to do any uh um I'll guest who shall remain nameless. We're not going to do any aggressive bullshit to you inside. So <laughs> yeah. um so yeah, come check it out and and um get get in some dark fantasy with us. Yeah, it's been interesting actually. Like we've heard a lot of comments about sort of the you know is this a lot of questions is this extreme how extreme is this what are you guys going to do to me are you do i need to worry about my clothes getting ripped um and those people have been who, who are who were thinking that's what the experience was and came expecting something like just as pleased as the people who have had no immersive theater experiences before so it really has it's really the kind of this nice gateway i think into not just immersive but into immersive horror as well and if you want to take those next steps up into the more extreme things what they've said to us is they've come out as like this is a great entry point this is a great way to get people into this genre without having to be electrocuted <laughs> Well, even that, that's the that's the upper echelons of, uh, <laughs> sure. of the extreme horror bits. Um, well, guys, thank you so much. How do people connect with the show? Uh, a couple different ways. So we have a Facebook page and an Instagram. I believe both are, if you just look up I Want to Live in Your Mouth, yep. you'll find us. 
Um, and uh, um, uh, we also have our Ticket Spice as our as our platform for for ticket links. I'm not sure of the URL offhand, but if you go to either one of those uh, sites, you'll be able to find the link there. All right, and we'll have the link up in the show notes. Well, guys, thanks again for taking time on your off night. To Thank you for taking time. And uh, experience. <laughs> I've enjoyed the experience. This has been a great experience with you. <laughs> All right, stopping this. <laughs>Once again, I want to thank David and Eric for being our guests on the show today. Check the show notes for a link to tickets, also to a link to our review by our own Kevin Gossett. Uh, it is a hashtag no pro loves show. So um, there, that's that's all you need to know. Um, there's there's a there's clearly something I want to talk about. Um, that's like just a program note. Uh, I'm not allowed to talk about it openly um, for like another week, <laughs> which sucks. Uh, I've I've brought it up on the Patreon backer side because at least technically that's not public. Um, it's semi-private. Suffice it to say, uh, I just made a deal that'll keep the Empire out of here. From No, um, I quoted that in the newsletter this week. Um, there's going to be some capacity changes in terms of uh, the amount of work we get to do we, meaning I, get to do here. Uh, and it is not a stepping down, it is an opening up. I felt, uh, particularly post-IDS, um, with, particularly with all the things that I've got going on, that I've kind of, I've been off a step. Um, I'm, I'm behind the curve. Um, we, we had this period of time where we actually like, stacked up a bunch of podcast episodes and now they've sort of dwindled back out. So like now it's like get back to like booking and, and, and fattening up the larder. Um, but there's also, there's a, there's a wonderful amount of work that are coming through the website and, uh, not a lot of it is, is, is processing through me at the moment, um, which feels weird to me, uh, really, really weird. Uh, so with that in mind, uh, I've made some changes. So more on that next week. Um, I think, I can, yeah, I should be able to talk about it next week. Uh, I've promised some folks that I won't say certain things. Um, of course, I think the people who, the people who they're trying to keep me from talking about it to, like, there's almost no way they listen to this show. So I could probably just blurt it out right now and like, it would not filter to them. Uh, but nevertheless, um, there's always a chance. So, uh, suffice it to say, I know I've already said that once before, um, there, a, a moment has happened that we've long been waiting for. And uh, I'm excited to get into the next phase. So uh, hopefully I've, <laughs> I've given you enough puzzle pieces here. Um, it is critical, however, uh, uh, the, the, you know, do, do, not, do not read between lines and think like somebody bought no pro. Mm, no, quite the opposite. Uh, ain't, ain't nobody bought us. The only people who buy us are you, uh, which is why the Patreon is indeed more important than ever. Um, What's going on in the wide world? Um, there's so much. I mean, Denver's popping off right now. Um, I was originally going to go to Denver, uh, and then Texas sort of nuked that plan. Uh, also, I'm trying to uh, still settle my mother in, so um, that kind of messed things up. And it's sad because there's this uh, wonderful um, 
all this stuff is going on in Denver. Like, I, I wish I could be there because uh, you've got uh, Between Us happening at the DCPA. Uh, the DCPA is bringing in uh, uh, Last Defender, which I've always wanted to check out. Uh, and then we've got um, uh, the, the the new Art Ride, uh, Kaleidoscape uh, from Meow Wolf is opening up there. So uh, this is the season. This spring is the season to be in Denver for Immersive. And uh, I... I technically could, uh, but also technically can't. And in part, that's because I've also been asked to um, help moderate some stuff at the Overlook Film Festival. So I had to choose between uh, returning to Denver and checking out some shows or going to Overlook. And that was a very hard choice. Um, I haven't been to New Orleans yet, and I haven't been to uh, Overlook at all. I haven't checked out the game. And... Uh, it, it was it was as much a decision about um, what to do with my mom as it was about about money. So uh, in a in a in a if this had all happened last year, it would have been like, oh, I'm going to Denver and I'm going to New Orleans and then I'm going to China and going here and going there. And now it's a lot more like I gotta I gotta pick my shots. Um, I gotta, I gotta very deliberately uh, expand. And um, there's there's something. There's something about going someplace I haven't been yet, not just a, for like, like, ooh, that's fun for me, but also to kind of get a, a sense and a flavor of um, what's going on in the different areas, the different regions, like what's the temperature. Um, that's a big part of the project right now is looking at how immersive interactive is expanding and uh, what forms uh uh, are catching on in different places. So really looking forward to continuing that part of the work and God's willing, finding time to get back out to Denver because I really enjoyed myself out there. And if you're, um, if, if you can make it out there for this, this time when they've got all this stuff popping off, uh, go, go check it out. Uh, we're going to have a, a review of the between us project up, uh, before long where we've got someone out there and they're they're checking out the shows and we're going to put together one review there's three shows we'll also have uh, material about uh, the last defender uh, coming along as well okay uh, that's sort of um, you know your your vague booking for the week uh, nothing else to add at the moment there's there's always things kind of brewing around and there's rumors and there's talk and there's this and there's that and of course Star Wars Land is coming so there's plenty on the horizon um, for us to check and vet and and, and see uh, and we're gonna get into that and just just gonna take the doors off this thing it's time we're five years into the project it's time all right let's do the credits here. Uh, let me get to the page of the credits because things have changed slightly and I don't want to mess up. The sustaining backers of No Persinium are Jan Budman, Lonnie Hansen, Ari Herstan, Mark Balthazar, and Sam Kinkin. The music for No Persinium is by Chris Porter of the Speakeasy Society. You can find us at nopersinium.com or at nopersinium on Twitter and Facebook. We're at no underscore persinium on Instagram. Check us out on the gram like it is always blowing up. Um, patreon.com slash no proscenium is how you help us out. Remember the one in the $5 levels are so critical. Like I said, um, if we got a thousand people at five, we'd be golden. Uh, if we got a thousand people at one, um, we'd, we'd be doing, we'd be doing better than we're doing right now. So, um, but not, not if like everyone 
flipped over. I mean, we've got to keep it what we have now. So we had like 1,200 people. Anyway, let's not worry about math. <laughs> we didn't get into this for math. Oh, no. We got into it for the art, I think. This has been No One Else. Until next time, I'll see you at the show. Bye.